0: Welcome to the Cloud Accounting Podcast. I'm Blake Oliver. And I'm David Leary. We got some more reviews, David. That's exciting. More reviews. iTunes reviews? iTunes reviews, yeah. It seems to be working.
1: This is be my favorite part of the show because I don't have an iPhone, so I don't get to read these. So it's
0: wonderful to hear you read these. Why don't we take turns? I'll go first. Oh, okay. Steckbro said, Blake and David do a great job keeping up on changes in the industry. The podcast saves me time doing my own research and keeps me up to date. And let's admit it, accounting is boring, yet they make this otherwise boring topic interesting. Wow, I think that's might be the best compliment we've gotten yet, David. We made a boring topic interesting.
1: Cloud accounting is not boring. <laughs> we have a uh, review from Stan, question mark. He's not sure if that's his username. It may not actually be Stan. Okay. Uh, look forward to this podcast each week. Five stars. App spots, innovation should it be at the front of every accountant's mind. And these guys really bring home the importance of doing your research.
0: Keep up the good work. Thanks, Stan. And lastly, great way to stay up to date on hashtag cloud accounting. Five stars from Dave Wees. Thank you, David. Can I get CPE credits for listening to the hashtag cloud accounting podcast? Asking for a friend. I learned more from David Leary and Blake Oliver than from any of these courses. We have reached out to NASBA on Twitter. They didn't reply to my message. I'm not sure why. Oh, well. I think there's requirements for CPE. We have to actually put out an agenda. Yes, learning objectives. Ahead of
1: time of what we're going to talk about, but we don't know what we're going to talk about until the news happens. So it's very,
0: very difficult here. I think it has to have some interactive element as well. So we might have to shift this to a live show.
1: People put their headphones in their ears. That's interactive.
0: Well... David, um,
1: what's new this week? Um, Let me ask you this. So I think your best blog post ever was the QuickBooks Live one you did, All Time Hits. How many hours did you spend working on that? It took me
0: like a day. A day. But actually, I have to correct the record. My number one blog post by far of all time is a post on my blog about remote work, places that you can remote work. It was called something like X places you can work other than a coffee shop. I get thousands and thousands of hits every month that just dwarf the hits I get on anything accounting related. So how long did you spend on that post? It's hard to say because it was like a list that I compiled. But yeah, it took like five or six hours.
1: So this is um, from American Express's Small Biz Trends blog. A survey reveals that fifty percent, 56% of bloggers get better results by spending six hours on a post. And really, the gist of the article is, if you're writing a blog post for your accounting firm, or your app or whatever you're writing your blog post for, the ones you spend time on and actually have deep, enriching, good content, in the long run will get you more eyeballs than lots of just blabble posts
0: about nothing. That makes sense, right? It's quality over quantity.
1: So you're, you are correct. It's about quality over quantity, right? And so I'll just read a quote from here. Uh, in the report, Jay Baer of Convince and Convert highlights the importance of definitive content. Bear says, to succeed with blogging, or just about any written word online, you must provide definitive content, not just some half-baked flotsam and jetsam that's 85% of the same as 5,237 other posts on the internet, but real meaty stuff. And I think that's uh, the service we provide, because we're the ones going through the 5237 other posts
0: and bringing you guys the top stories every week. It's a lot of crap to wade through. Yeah, just know know that it takes a lot of effort to put this together.
1: Well, this ties right into the next story. So as of about two hours ago, there was a new blog post on the Firm of the Future blog, which is an Intuit property. So this is about QuickBooks Live bookkeeping and is super, super deep. And it has everything you want to know straight from the horse's mouth, which means now, Blake, you'll have less work to
0: do on your next blog post. Well, that's that's good. I don't have to dig so much. Uh, It's really nice to see all of this coming out up front. So, David, what's the news about QuickBooks Live?
1: The article covers a little bit about what we already knew, that this is a test. And it has some of the stats that Intuit's been communicating, I think we talked about before, about 89% of the small businesses say they're more successful in working with an accountant. But with that said, there's still like 40%. They don't work with an accountant or pro advisor at all. Mm-hmm. Right. And part of QuickBooks live was to match those people up. And they actually give a little bit of a history on this post uh, about what happened in February of 2019, what happened in March of 2019. So in February, they do talk about the tests that we've covered deeply on the podcast about the pricing test they were doing. Mm -hmm. But then they also talked about in February that they actually made a hiring of 10 accounting professionals in their Boise office. Wow. 10 already. So remember you found that job posting in Boise. So yes, they have hired 10. Now this is to test this.
0: these are 10 pro advisors. They
1: ten, they, they're accounting professionals who are pro advisors. Got it. And so they, they mentioned that this is not their long term vision. This is just a way for them to start testing the service because their long term vision is to play middleman and get people paired up with the other pro advisors that are out there
0: on the market. So pro advisors working from home everywhere in the country, theoretically. Correct. Got it.
1: And then they actually even go into what's next. So it, it's really communicated really well. So on March 25th, which is what, Monday morning, Sunday morning? Mm hmm they're going to start another version of this test that's a little bit deeper. And they're going to do even more pricing structure and test on the website um, and see how the messaging to better understand what the small business owners want. And they will possibly use that to gauge the interest in the service and possibly match some of the customers up with the Boise Pro Advisors. And then they also mentioned that they probably are going to add some Pro Advisors and bookkeepers to QuickBooks Live in Reno, Nevada, because that's where
0: QuickBooks Payroll is. And what was interesting to me about this post is they talk about what is going to actually be included in the QuickBooks Live service, because that was not clear. Originally, it was not really made clear in those town halls in which,
1: who was at the town hall? Uh, Joe Woodard did the town halls. Um, uh, Rich Priest
0: attended those from Intuit. Yeah, so it wasn't really clear what the services are. And now that's being talked about. The article says that, quote, pending additional testing, the service will include setup, monthly categorization, reconciliation reports, year-end closing of books, and help using QuickBooks, unquote. And why I find that very interesting is that that is a lot more hands-on than Intuit has portrayed this. It was Portrayed as just, we're going to help you use QuickBooks. It's not a replacement for a pro advisor, but that scope of services, including setup, monthly categorization, reconciliation reports, year and closing of books, and help using QuickBooks, that's uh, the meat and potatoes of a lot of QuickBooks bookkeepers. Yep. You know, they also said that you're not going to get the same person assigned to you as a business owner every month, that you might have to deal with different people each time, but I don't see how that's going to be possible if that's the scope of services. There's going to have to be a one-to-one relationship.
1: With this testing, they're really trying to... Intuit's trying to get their own questions answered themselves. Mm -hmm. And they actually put these out there like, Hey, we have our own questions. We're trying to answer how much will the service really cost? How much are pro advisors and bookkeepers going to be paid as part of this service? Right. And then what is the scope of services being offered through it? And then what happens to somebody if they maybe outgrow that level of service? So Intuit has their own questions and it's, it's actually great that this is they're putting it out here and just they're being honest and open and having the conversation and showing their own vulnerabilities. Like, we don't know these answers yet.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah.
1: And So kudos to Intuit putting this out. Um, I wish it had a date and time. I wish it said who wrote it, but it doesn't have any of those types of things.
0: There is the question answered in this post that a lot of people have had, which is, will this service be offered to someone already connected to an accountant? And the official answer is, our goal is to connect small businesses not currently connected to a pro advisor, bookkeeper, or accountant. Now, I have a hard time seeing how they can keep those two groups separated. The business owners who are already connected to an accountant or a bookkeeper and the ones who don't have one, how is Intuit going to know that? There are inevitably going to be people who have a current relationship with a pro advisor that see this new option, and that disrupts that relationship. And I'm curious to know how Intuit will handle that.
1: The only way they're going to know is if somebody has actually in their QuickBooks have added their pro advisor, their accountant. And so then there's real data. There's a real connection there yeah. where customer A, small business owner A is connected to accountant B. But how are they going to only market to the people who don't have an accountant? It's but the, it's impossible. But the trouble, I think, is really going to be for, let's say you are a small business and you were, hey, I'm kind of not too keen on my current bookkeeper, my current pro advisor, and I want to shop around a little bit. Maybe I want to test out this QuickBooks Live.
0: Yeah, exactly. Are you
1: going to be kind of blocked from trying out a new service? No, of course. So, not. Yeah, they're right. That's that's a, that's again another open question that's gonna to have to be answered mm-hmm. over time. All right. Cool. So uh, more time on high quality blog posts. <laughs> that's that's the theme here. Because this is a really good one that obviously somebody spent some time on.
0: So following up on our discussion about the new list, the top fifty women in accounting lists that practice ignition sponsored. I've been paying a little more attention to this recently, and I spotted an article in CFO magazine called, For Management Accountants, Gender Pay Gap is Closing. So the really interesting stat in this article is that in the United States, the median total pay for women in 2018 for management accountants was 88% of what men earned. Now, that's not that great, right? That's according to a survey by the Institute of Management Accountants, we can certainly do much better. But the good news is that's up from 85% in 2017. So from 85%, on the dollar to 88% on the dollar in 2018. But the really good news in the survey, for women in their 20s, in the 20 to 29 age group, women earned a median 97% of what their male counterparts did. And at the other end of the age spectrum, for uh, women 50 and older, the figure was just 80%. So clearly there's a change happening. And globally, there actually is no compensation gap anymore. And if anything... Women are earning more than men in certain areas of the world. So it's good news, right? Uh, hopefully, though, as those women in their 20s move into their 30s and 40s, that the gap doesn't widen again.
1: Well, I think the, the big problem that's, that's always faced females is they, they already start out down 12% or, or 18%. Mm-hmm. from the get-go. So then even if they get raises that are equivalent to men, by the time it's all said and done, it's a compound interest, right? Right. They're all, they're just going to be way behind. So the fact that they're starting out almost an equal footing from the beginning at 97%, and I know somebody's going to be like, that's still not equal, but it, it's just, it's going to stack up, right? To where that gap should not
0: get as wide as as they go further on in their careers. Now, moving on to busy season news. I've got a busy season stat for you, David.
1: What's this one?
0: This stat is from a report by Convergence Coaching, the report is called the Anytime, Anywhere Work Survey, and it was done in 2018. The one I want to call to your attention, David, is this question about Saturdays being mandatory or optional in busy season.
1: I think there's another accountant who took a photo of their parking lot that showed all the cars in it on a Saturday morning. And he was really proud that his firm had those employees showing up to work on a Saturday morning. Like it was a teamwork effort.
0: So, the stat from this report that stuck out to me about optional or mandatory Saturdays is that in 2016, of firms offered optional Saturdays. Only 39% of firms made Saturdays optional. But that jumped to 58% in 2018. So now over half of firms have optional Saturdays.
1: So what if you even making your employees work all Saturdays and you still can't get all the work done? Like, what do you do
0: then? That's the thing is that it's not about how much time that, that people are working. Like, you don't need them coming into the office. You don't need to mandate that they work on Saturdays because people will figure out how to get their workload done if you trust them. Right? That's the difference between the old school mentality and the new. Got it. Um, and that's really important, right? It's really important to trust people because it is getting harder and harder to hire. And I came across another stat that was uh, actually really funny from the AICPA Engage conference in 2018. There was an audience survey done there that Accounting Today published about hiring standards. And the question is, how strict is your firm in terms of who you will hire? And 8% of firms or 8% of attendees said that they'll hire, quote, anyone who is breathing. (laughs) And 41% said they have an ideal, but will settle. And only 51% of attendees said that they and their firms adhere to high standards when they're hiring. And that's that's probably because it's getting harder and harder to find talent. There's a labor shortage in the CPA and the accounting world. And going back to this question of, optional or mandatory saturdays if your firm still has mandatory saturdays especially the kind where you have to come into the office who's going to want to work at your firm
1: that's crazy Uh, anyone who is breathing
0: i mean who knows you know this was an audience survey so maybe there was some cheeky answers there right being
1: funny yeah that that could be clearly you know half of
0: firms are having to settle you know not getting necessarily who they want um so so I, i got one more busy season story for you david Okay. Okay. Last one. So this is called point with your thumb, not with your finger published in accounting today, uh, by Kyle Walters, who is a partner at LNH CPA, CPAs and advisors in Dallas. He talks in this article, or at least he starts off this article by talking about a policy that his firm has, which is that you can only point at people with your thumb, not with your index finger. Now that sounds a little strange, right? Like why, why would you have that policy? Well, it is more a metaphor than anything. The idea is that when you point at people with your thumb, you're really pointing at yourself. And he says in this article, in busy season, it's really important to point at yourself, not at the client, and not blame the client for the problems of not getting documentation or not getting what you need on time to get your work done. He says, you're not an accountant. You're a luxury service provider. If your clients were organized and got everything to you in time, and you didn't have to ask them multiple times to get things done, they probably wouldn't need you to do their taxes. They could probably do it themselves if they were that organized, right? He's got a point. He's got a point. So he, he talks about some ways that you can improve the flow of communication, the client experience, and reduce this friction that occurs between the staff and the clients. For instance, sending a tax organizer in January is not enough. He says... You really need to walk clients through the process without being condescending. And maybe do some things that are not typical, such as send a courier to your client's house to pick up documents. Or create a short instructional video that walks new or tech-challenged clients through your portal. Or how about adding an administrative assistant whose job is to help people use the portal better? If you take those steps to really hold your client's hands, then it'll make everything better for both your staff and For the clients who really, how can we blame them for not wanting to do their taxes? It's basically the worst thing for a lot of people. They hate it, right? So I I just liked his approach of thinking of your firm as a luxury service provider rather than a compliance shop.
1: Yeah, and I think that the the firms that probably need this the most right now are heads down and will not know this article was written (laughs) and not have time to read it. But if people read this for four weeks from now, they can really implement this stuff for next season.
0: I like this too because you know there's all these people out there talking about how tax preparers, compliance shops need to go into advisory services. I don't really think that that's necessarily how you have to differentiate yourself. Yes, it's true that compliance work is becoming more and more automated and it's requiring less and less effort, but you can continue to provide incredible value by taking the extra time you have now that you're not typing in transactions or manually moving around tax data, you can take that extra time you have and offer a better client experience. There's many, many, many ways to improve the client experience right now uh, that we could think of. So it, it could simply be that by offering better customer service, you can continue to do the services you've already done or always done and and continue to see your profits grow. Yep. The last thing I liked in this article a lot is about making mistakes. When your firm makes a mistake, you shouldn't just say, I'm sorry, my firm made a mistake. You should also say, I made a mistake, and here's what we're going to do to fix it. Are you okay with that, Mr. and Mrs. Smith? And by doing that, you'll have a much better relationship with the client and a smoother running firm the next time around. So, Blake,
1: I actually, if you know, I'm a, I'm a foodie. I don't know if I'm a foodie or not. I just made that up. I was reading Eater Magazine, uh, the Los Angeles edition, and I saw an article, and I actually sent it to you when I saw it because I was like, hey... Blake's in LA. this could be an on-location investigation for him. So the title of the article is, "More .LA. restaurants are going cashless. Is it always best for business?" And this is a restaurant magazine talking about this. So they talk about how um, Blue Bottle recently announced plans. So Blue Bottle's a kind of a high-end fancy version of Starbucks. High-end coffee. And,
0: high-end coffee
1: and they're experimenting with a new cashless payment model, meaning customers are no longer to pay for food and drinks with anything other than a credit card or a phone app or your iWatch type of a situation. Mm-hmm. And it did really go into some of the bigger news. Like uh there's a salad chain called Sweet Green, and they uh had a robbery in New York City at one of their stores, cash robbery, and it led to a police chase and somebody wanted being shot. And so they have famously just said, no more cash. Because of the safety of their uh, employees in their restaurants. And I know we've talked about this before um, as far as from a cloud accounting standpoint, it's super efficient to just only do credit cards because then you can just move those in the accounting system and you don't have to count cash. You have to go to the bank to do a deposit. It's just easier, right, from a bookkeeping perspective to, to do that. But now there's a lot of arguing happening on both sides of this. Um so before I jump into kind of the other articles that are related to this, did you actually go to one of these restaurants or go to one of these cash uh sorry no cash restaurants in I've definitely
0: been to cash only re- or to card only restaurants in los angeles i can't remember exactly where, but i wouldn't have even noticed because i can't remember the last time I paid for lunch or anything with cash I, I think it's great, but there are people that are upset about this and complaining I know that Philadelphia recently banned cashless stores. Is that right? That was
1: recent news this week. They banned cashless stores. And the, and the, the argument is that if anybody is maybe, I'm not saying off the grid, but they, they don't have credit cards for personal finance reasons. They're uh, the unbanked. They just personally choose not to have them. It's a division. Right. Uh, and some of them are arguments, haves and have nots. But a lot of these restaurateurs, you start reading these articles, make arguments that like, is it really our fault? Or what if a restaurant takes cash but they only sell $50 hamburgers? They take cash but only $50 hamburgers. Are they gonna be creating a cultural divide? So there's a lot of arguments around this. Gene Marks is saying you're crazy to do cash only because he looks at this as you don't and I'll read his cash.
0: He's not saying you're crazy you're crazy to do cashless.
1: Cashless, yes. Oh yes, yes, sorry. Um or even go cash only. Like so his article is like cashless question mark cash only question mark, you've got to be crazy to reject any forms of payment. And I kind of, I get the whole efficiency. I get the safety. I get, you know, having to physically count cash. Restaurants are expensive to run. And if you're paying somebody to count cash every night, that's money you could be paying your kitchen staff. Mm-hmm. I get those arguments, but I, I think I'm on Gene's page here where you have to really accept all possible payments. And my dream would be is with zero or QuickBooks, when I send an invoice to somebody, I want to have 25 payment options available to my customer so they can pay me any way that works for them. And that's Gene Mark's uh, argument on this.
0: Look, the, the, the problem here in LA is that in a lot of places, people are just not paying with cash. So it becomes silly for the businesses to accept it because very few people are paying with it. And yeah, I understand the argument that it could be discriminatory, especially towards poor people who don't have banking, but there's got to be a better solution than forcing all businesses to take cash, which they don't want to do. Maybe the city could put out free i know—card uh, ATMs that issue prepaid cards or something like that. It's expensive and dangerous to have cash on hand in a, in a store. So I disagree with Gene here. Um, I think that businesses should do whatever they think is best for their businesses. And you know, clear, clearly, a lot of them have decided that they don't need to accept cash in order to succeed.
1: And I can see this being a battle because m- my small business advocate in me is like, this is super efficient. Like small businesses
0: kind of have to do this. Like they just have to to survive. It's tough, right? What about airlines? Right? Airlines stopped taking cash on planes a long time ago. Are we going to start forcing them to do that again? Yeah. Right. You can only pay for you can only pay for your drinks and your food with a credit card on all the flights that I've been on. Delta, Southwest, American. I haven't paid cash anything. Right? If we're okay with that, why can't why can't stores do it too?
1: I wouldn't be surprised if this gets bubbling up to the, the higher political levels. Right now it's a lot of uh, individual cities and states that are banning this, but I could see this becoming a national political topic. Mm-hmm. You know, maybe it's even in the election because You're right. So many transactions are on credit card, but we're going to have discussions about getting rid of all cash at a national level. Who knows? (laughs) Anybody who has a client who has a cash register, you know, and listens to the podcast, this is going to affect you.
0: So you want to talk about the Facebook thing next? I couldn't believe it when I read it. Apparently hundreds of millions of people's passwords were being stored in plain text on Facebook servers.
1: Yes. So not only were they stored in plain text, Possibly up to 20,000 Facebook employees had access to this. This, It gets worse and worse for Facebook every day. So where, where did you see this? So it's on um, Krebs on Security, which is, I think we've talked about this once before. This is like the place people go to find out about security hacks, security breaches, um, and problems like this. They do really deep articles, investigative type reporting, journalism. So it's Krebs on Security. And essentially the headline is pretty straightforward. Facebook stored hundreds of millions of users' passwords in plain text for years. So this goes back to 2012.
0: They're not making people reset their passwords, though. And they're not saying that the passwords were necessarily used in a, in a bad way. It was just exposed on their internal networks.
1: That's correct. Based on their investigation, they, they're pretty confident it's not been used improperly. Nobody stole these. But my, my bigger concern with this is Facebook, in a way is hiring the a plus 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 of talent facebook is apple is google is right they have the the highest flying stocks they have the most money the most cash right and they're they're hiring the smartest people in the world as from an engineering standpoint and glaring like you could argue this is security 101 and mistakes like this are happening and some of it could be a cultural thing what about the companies that are hiring just an a plus or an a or an a minus or maybe a b plus engineer this is what's kind of scary about this because even the article talks about github and twitter both had some similar issue like this in a couple months back this is kind of scary because this is like
0: 101 if you think about this in the context of all the data that facebook has passwords are the most important thing that they could be protecting and they are not securing our passwords which give access to potentially anyone into our accounts what do you think they are doing to protect all of our personal information that we are out there sharing on Facebook? Well, they're obviously not. That's what the whole Cambridge Analytica scandal was about, right? That third party app developers had unfettered access into what appeared to be most of the Facebook database.
1: But but that was uh, the API level.
0: It was it was kosher, et cetera, et cetera. But internally, I mean, I like imagine like uh, you work at Facebook as a developer. Theoretically, those people aren't supposed to be able to go in and view our Facebook messages. Right, David? Well, do you think they probably can? I imagine that a lot of them probably could if this is how well they were securing our passwords. I wouldn't I wouldn't uh, bet that my messages are safe.
1: Up to 20,000 people had access to this. I'm not saying 20,000 people saw them,
0: but they could have.
1: Nobody raised this issue up since 2012.
0: The whole thing is dumbfounding and crazy. You know, I got to take the opportunity to tie this back to all of our discussions about third party providers overseas serving the CPA profession, especially small ones. I mean, if a company like Facebook is not securing data, what do you think the odds are that that bot company in the Philippines is securing your client data? I'm going to say not very good. Yeah. So it's, it's CPA firms. It's buyer beware in this world. If you are outsourcing your client data, if you're putting your own data on consumer quality networks, we really ought to be using B2B software, B2B services that are you know, audited, that have standards that they publish, that will tell you what they're doing with their, your data, or we're putting ourselves and our clients at risk.
1: And the one good thing about things like this coming to light is this is how they get resolved. Facebook seems to just do whatever they want
0: and nothing ever gets fixed.
1: But I but I know when I um after I think the Cambridge Analytica stuff broke, I remember adding to it at the time, like the board took that very serious and, and company, lots of companies took that stuff very serious and then looked at their own APIs and their own data sets. So I'm sure every Fortune 500 company right now is performing an investigation on how they're storing people's passwords. So there is a ripple effect of how this affects the rest of the industry. So I guarantee you other companies, their CEOs are like, I don't want to be on the front page of the Kreb security thing. What's our security policy around our passwords,
0: right? And so this is going to, it'll cause a ripple effect in a good way. So it's less than one month, really only three weeks until the end of busy season. And you know what that means, David? It's the beginning of conference season. Conference season. Yes, yes, yes. Well, what are the big events that are coming up in the next few months in April, May, June. And what are you going to be at?
1: Malia Macklin at Insightful Accountant. She put together uh, training shows and conferences for 2019 blog posts. They're not all here, but it's pretty exhaustive. There's a good 30 shows and conferences. So we'll have that in the show notes and the links. First off, I think we're both going to be at the accounting salon, which is May 6th, 7th, 8th, correct?
0: That is in New Orleans. Yes. May 6th through 8th. That's going to be great.
1: Scaling New Heights and Zero Con are the same week so i'm going to do both Road warrior. i'll be i'll be 2 days at Sailing new heights and 2 days at zerocon which would be a little crazy but i'll make it
0: uh where are you headed well actually flowcast is doing our very first conference our own user gathering congratulations it's a ton of work already it's may 16th it is just for current flowcast users this first year uh we wanted to get our feet wet with that it's called take control and that is may 16th in san francisco if you are listening and you happen to be a flowcast user head over to flowcast.com slash take control and register. I'm also going to be at the Houston CPA Society 2019 Spring Accounting Expo on May 22nd. I'll be presenting on remote work and the chaos of the close. I might go to AICPA Engage in June. I'm not sure about that yet. I know that Flowcast is going to be there. And then I will also be at Xerocon San Diego.
1: Okay, so we'll be at,
0: both be at ZeroCon overlapping there and that's in uh june 18th and 19th and you said that is immediately following scaling new heights
1: uh they overlap yes they overlap okay they, cool. yeah, they, they completely overlap but i will be ditching one early to go to the to attend the other one slightly late but that way i get to do both in the same week which should be a, a lot of fun we'll do podcasts related to that and this list goes all the way through ends out in November with QB Connect, the full exhausted list of all the shows you should consider when you have some time here. Uh, I have to vote the, my favorite name of any conference listed here. I'm not going to it, but the favorite name is Abacus Maximus, which is, might be the best conference name of all the conferences listed here. And then I have one more small article for all of you when you go traveling to these conferences. So this was uh, American Express' Small Biz-, Biz Trends. You want to stay at the Roadway Inn. Now, do you know why you want to stay there, Blake?
0: I don't know. I'm I'm kind of like getting a little picky with my hotels these days. Why would I want to stay at a place called the Roadway Inn?
1: Because they have the best hotel Wi-Fi oh.
0: of any hotels,
1: followed by uh, America's best value in, quality in, and suites, days in.
0: What is it with these inns that have good Wi-Fi?
1: They're balancing it out, right? Like they're lower price, They're providing better service because the ones with the worst Wi-Fi you would, are the ones I feel like most business travelers stay at the slowest Wi-Fi places. It's the Hilton Hotels, Fairfield, Marriott, Courtyard by Marriott. They have the worst Wi-Fi. Oh, man. And they cost more. I, I, I'm i spending twice as much. Just get slow Wi-Fi.
0: That's why I just gave up and I, I bought Unlimited on my phone. And I just use my phone as a hotspot whenever I can, because I just can't. I can't put up with the Wi-Fi that's slower than my cell connection.
1: So, uh, Blake... Is that it? Did we, we we got through everything this week? I think we did.
0: Yeah, that's everything for this week. If people want to get in touch with you, David, online, where can they do that? right easiest is Twitter. I'm just at David Leary. And I am at Blake T. Oliver. And don't forget, you can follow the Cloud Accounting Podcast on Facebook. Just go to your Facebook search bar and type in Cloud Accounting Podcast, and you will find us. Follow our page. Give us a rating on Facebook. We would really appreciate that. And also... Give us a rating on iTunes and we'll read it on the air.
1: And we are now on Twitter and LinkedIn. I haven't posted much there yet, but that's going to be happening soon. So you can find us on LinkedIn and Twitter. So any anywhere it's convenient for you, we're there.
0: David, it was a lot of fun. Talk
1: to you next week. Bye. Talk to you soon.